Hi, my name is Jen. I'm a holistic nurse practitioner, and I'm here to tell you that your body can heal. I've healed eight different chronic and autoimmune conditions that had me bedridden sick with little hope for my future in my 20s. I've created this podcast to inspire you and give you the tools to heal your body, your mind, your heart, your spirit, and your life. This podcast is for patients, practitioners, and people who want to listen from the place where spirit and science meet. As we heal our body, we have a body that moves well, thinks well, loves well, and that is a body we want to be in for this life to carry out our soul's work. I'm so glad you're here tuning in with us. Now let's get to this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Inspire Health by Jen podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with us for all the moms, the dads, and the kiddos who want your voice heard and your questions answered on this episode. I have Dr. Emily Gutierrez here. She is a doctor of nursing practice. She's a pediatric nurse practitioner, and she's been providing pediatric functional medicine care to patients for over a decade. She has her own practice, her own supplement line. She's incredible. And she received her doctorate from John Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland, and her master's degree as a pediatric nurse practitioner at the University of Texas in Austin. And Dr. Emily, she's a board certified functional medicine practitioner by IFM, in addition to dual board certifications by the National Pediatric Nursing Certification Board and Pediatric Nurse Practitioner and a Primary Care and Mental Health Specialist. She's also certified as a clinical nutritionist, and this is where I met her at the IAACN conference. And Dr. Emily Gutierrez, she's adjunct faculty at John Hopkins University, where she's been teaching providers about pediatric functional medicine over the last several years. And she has a passion for creating custom supplement solutions for chronic health conditions. She's a seasoned speaker and author and a leader in the field of pediatric functional medicine. And I am so impressed by her that I begged her and pulled her arm to come on this show. So welcome, Dr. Emily. I'm so glad you're here. Yay. Thanks for having me. And you absolutely didn't pull my arm. I think that we we immediately, I like our, our energies aligned and I was like, oh yeah, she's one of my people immediately when we met. So well, we met walking down Main Street of Fort Worth when we were at the conference and you were with your health coach, Alexis. And I, I think we caught each other's eye and you just said, oh, I don't know, you're here for the conference. And then I asked, I knew, I knew who you were because you were one of the speakers and I had thoroughly creeped and I'm like, oh, there's a DNP, there's a doctorate of nursing practice coming. I super excited. You were the opening speaker and um, I had asked you, I said, you know, what, where, how do you practice or what's your specialty? And you told me um, that you had come from acute care and now you're in pediatric functional medicine and you, you said the funniest thing, uh, but I'm just so curious, how did you get from there? from just mainstream medicine to here and any commentary you want to give us along the way. Yes. Well, it's been, you know, it's been a journey. All those letters behind my name is just my forever quest for knowledge and learning something and then wanting to go deeper. And, and, you know, nursing and medicine isn't everything about health. (laughs) So I think we're taught that, right? Like, I mean, doctors and nurses, they have the authority on health, but the truth is, I mean, so do chiropractors and naturopaths and yeah. nutritionists and 
it's just really exciting once you start to expand your scope of, you know, what does healing really look like? And especially in terms to chronic disease, that when you learn a little bit, it just, I don't know about for you, but it just whets your knowledge to learn a little bit more. Yeah. So I'm in Austin, Texas, and our the motto of our city is to keep it weird. Did you know that about Austin? <laughs> um, no, when, so I had heard that about Austin in a subliminal way. I've had friends and clients say, oh, Jen, you, if you went to Texas, you would love Austin. And I was like, oh, I get what you're saying. It might be a little weird there. I'm a little weird. <laughs> well, and it's just hmm. that people kind of go against the grain here in a way. It's you know, it's not this top-down authority in medicine. It's the challenge of, you know, what does yoga bring to health and how can we change nutrition and supplements and, you know, how's being nature? It's just, it's a different culture for, um, I think, just being in that place of like, you know, authoritative medicine. It's more collaboration. Well, Austin, Texas has a lot of forward thinkers. You know, Joe Rogan is here. Elon Musk is here. We have a lot of um, innovative, forward-thinking people. And I think that that's also with medicine. I would say that Austin, Texas, arguably, is the functional medicine capital of the world. There is a lot, a lot of functional medicine people here. What makes my practice more unique is that a lot of people don't want to touch kids. They're like, well, they're little people. I don't know. I can do this with adults and their hormones and their detox, but not a lot of people feel really comfortable with, hey, what is a two-year-old that has regression and is starting to show signs of autism? How do we even begin to approach that? So I have an amazing community here in Austin, Texas, and Typically, those providers send me the kids. So uh, we're pediatrics, and my interest is was not strep throat for the rest of my life. Meaning, and absolutely one thousand percent, we need these providers that are treating strep throat all day long, and we need those providers that are doing wellness checks, and we need that type of primary care. When I first got into practice. It was just about a year in, I was like, there's got to be more to this. There's got to be more to a wellness check than just really, you know, talking about all the vaccines that you need or, um, you know, a sick visit is just what medication you're going to do. There has to be more. And my patients wanted more than that. Like you had the flu. Like, well, can I take elderberry? If so, how much for how long? And I didn't have those answers. That's, that wasn't the training that we received. Right. In our allopathic education. So when I went to Johns Hopkins, my um you had to you had to study a problem. And my problem was I didn't know how to meet these beautiful parents that were like, Well, tell me about essential oils for an an ear infection or a cold. And I just felt woefully unequipped to deal with what they were asking for. And I thought, well, hey, if I'm their healthcare provider what does it matter what we're calling this genre of health? It should be whatever aligns with the family's belief and, and ultimately what is best for the child. So that sent me on a long journey of learning about integrative medicine. And then anybody that learns about integrative medicine will eventually find functional medicine. And so here we are. So Austin, Texas set the stage for your tremendous success now with your own practice, your own supplement line. And you had no prior need for this. Like your children didn't have a problem and you just were simply meeting the needs of your patients. That's incredible. 
Yeah. Well, my children at the time when I first started this were, were pretty young and they were doing pretty well. But have I had a need for functional medicine personally? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know it for a long time. Uh, my first health crisis really came when I had a baby and I mm-hmm. had severe postpartum depression, uh, at times postpartum psychosis. And mm-hmm. That was a journey into, oh my gosh, what is, you know, I've got to learn how to help myself and be well to be a good mom and to be able to be there for my family and my child. So, yeah, I think that personally, my health journey really, really started there. And, you know, I used drugs to help me out of postpartum depression. Yeah. And then, but I didn't stay on drugs because I learned a lot of other things that are really, really critical to managing your mental health. So that's my bias. That's where I come from as far as like, why is mental health really important to me? Well, you know, I've, I've been there. I've, I've had my own mental health journeys. And then just when you're dealing with kids and what's the most chronic illness in a child, unfortunately, a lot of it's mental health. Right? Mm. I mean, it is depression, anxiety, OCD, ADHD. And then that doesn't even encompass all of the neurodevelopmental disorders that we have as well that are just, you know, one in 39 boys now. Wow. One in 39 boys. So it's, uh, it's on the rise. So naturally, being chronic healthcare, pediatric functional medicine, I see a lot of mental health and I have a huge heart for it. Yeah. And you, the neurodevelopmental disorders are primarily what you see in the kiddos that you work with. Is that your niche or are you treating anything from gastrointestinal skin? Can you tell us a little bit more? Yes. So I will see any, I'll basically see anything chronic in a child. I've even had um, supported kids that had cancer and, and been with them on that journey as well. So I'll see anything that's chronic from you know, bloating, irritable bowels, not growing well, chronic eczema, chronic hives, chronic allergies, to, you know, all the neuropsych stuff that goes along with that. And often, Jen, what happens is you have eczema and you also have anxiety Mm -hmm. or, oh, I have ulcerative colitis and I'm depressed. I mean, the gut and the brain is, you know, and I'm sure you've talked about is it's really important that the whole body is balanced in order to balance the brain. And some of my patients with really severe autoimmune disorders have the worst neuropsych symptoms of all. Could you tell us about the way that you understand the gut and the brain connection? I've talked about it, but every provider has their own ability to synthesize information and disseminate it. And then with the one thing I love about functional medicine and particularly functional medicine nurse practitioners is we really can encompass the best of both worlds. So like, how do you see that gut brain connection and how are you helping to recognize it and treat it in your, in your practice? More than anything over the years, you know, we got excited about, Oh, a probiotic. And you know, the first probiotics we probably started using for children were Saccharomyces boulardii, also known as Floristore over the counter, because we knew if you gave enough Floristore, when you gave all that augmentin and amoxicillin and cefadroxyl for their ear infections, you could maybe prevent antibiotic-associated diarrhea. So there is an indication for probiotics, and they started, you know, pretty early, and there's some that can be effective. However, the longer I do this, 
I truly believe it's more about inflammation in the gut than how well your gut is colonized. So, Mm -hmm. you know, probiotics can be a drop in the ocean. You know, some people have a lot of low beneficial flora. So they have, you know, high amounts of bad guys or bad bacteria. But is it really so much about just, you know, weeding and seeding the microbiome, like picking out the parts that shouldn't be there versus how can we really just lower overall inflammation within the gut? And sometimes that means like, oh, well, you know, I have dementiobifragilistropes or I have, um, you know, a parasite that that's been, you know, causing constipation or diarrhea. They don't always call it diarrhea. So, I mean, sometimes it's helpful to weed the microbiome, but I think that just it's all, if I were to sum up one thing in practice, it would be how do you lower inflammation in your patients and not inflammation that's like, oh, I sprained my ankle and my ankle's inflamed. That's great inflammation. Like bring all the molecules to the site and get that ankle healing. It's chronic inflammation that will not turn off. Mm-hmm. And some people, you know, they have really aggressive forms of inflammation and it takes so much to turn it off. And it's insidious in some people too. It's just chronic underlying inflammation all the time. So how do I balance the gut and the brain? Well, I'm just always, I'm on the hunt for where is the inflammation coming from first and foremost. And so you run a variety of tests when you first meeting with a kiddo, you're running a test to test their neuroinflammation, their gut inflammation. Where do you like to start with these kids? Well, it really depends on their history. So if you, you know, like today I had a kiddo that actually, you know, mom had just been on my waiting list for a while and her number came up and she was like, yes, I'm going to take that appointment. But the child was actually doing pretty well. So the, the, the thing he has that she's coming to see me for is attention deficit disorder. And as I'm getting to know his family history, his trauma history, his medical history, it's pretty clear with this kid, he's just never had a physiological assessment on his body. Like he's on a medication, he's had the trauma work, he's had the, you know, psychosocial support work. But the seven-year-old, nobody's ever checked his iron. Nobody's ever checked his thyroid. Nobody's ever checked the known nutritional deficiencies that we know with ADHD, which are magnesium and zinc. And a lot of times they need a lot of methylation support. So for him today, I'm just going to check the basics with him because nobody's ever extended that child the courtesy of that. And if there's one thing that I wish so tremendously in medicine, it would change is the standard of care for how we are approaching things like attention disorders. There's some real big, low-hanging fruit, really huge. Like, you know, I mean, do you not have enough omega-3 fatty acids in your brain? Yeah. Right? That's that's like we know that in the literature over and over and over and over again. So you've got to have a high level of omega threes in order for it to be anti inflammatory, but also to help your brain grow in the way that you want it to. And when you're a child, your brain is always it's always a moving target because you're it's always, always growing. And your brain, they say it's about twenty five when your brain will start stop growing. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine from seven to seventeen your needs just change all the time. And you have a lot of nutritional needs. So today with this patient that's doing quite well, I'm just going to do the basics. I'm going to see that the gut 
is really balanced and looks pretty good. And we don't have some major deficiencies or gaps in it. The inflammation looks good. And then I'm going to look at all the nutritional insufficiencies. Like, is there enough iron and zinc and magnesium and omegas? So I'm going to start with the basics with him. So that was an easy patient today. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of times that's not what I get, but today is pretty easy. Do you feel like kids now are encountering way more odds, way more inflammation than like when we were kids or parents were kids or grandparents are kids? And like, if you do, where's that inflammation coming from? I do. I I think it's coming preconception, Mm. honestly. Mm -hmm. If you can have a planned pregnancy, I think you need six months of detox before you get pregnant. Yes. You really do. You know, no drinking, stooling well, you know, getting all your inflammation as down as you can and really getting up your nutritional density as high as you can in order to go into that conception. And I don't only think moms need to do it. I think the dads play a role too. So they often get off the hook like, oh, it's all up to the woman and what they're going to give their child. Well, not really. We have more studies now to show that, you know, the healthier the sperm, the healthier the child. So I think that, you know, our our planet is just has more challenges all the time. Um, And our food supply has challenges all Mm -hmm. the time. And, you know, I think that there's a there's a big degree of toxicity that we're not talking about that we should. Yeah. And in our modern healthcare system, there's not really a place or anything set up to even look at that or have space for that. Can you comment on that at all in your experience? No, you're kind of like a a woo-woo doc if you say, (laughs) we're going to detox you. It's like, wow, I mean, that is that a word that we even know? Um, And the truth is, is is there's no probably ICD-10 code. So that's how we code visits and get reimbursement. And, yeah. you know, a lot of, a lot of systems work on the codes and the time and the visit. Jen, there's just so much big money in medicine. It's really very disheartening. I have a really good friend that works in a hospital system and we were talking over the weekend and I was informed that some of their performance Maybe I shouldn't say this one. I'm going to say it. Some of their, say it perform- girl. <laughs> some of their performance measures are dependent on how many referrals they give within the hospital system. Mm. They are they are literally docked and um, have some punitive measures against them if they don't refer enough. And they can't refer to outside hospital systems. They have to refer within the network. So if you have syncope or fainting, which many adolescents can for many different reasons, your pediatrician might say, well, we're going to go ahead and refer you to cardio to look to see if there's any reason that your heart is not keeping up with your blood supply needed to not faint when you get up. Well, so the cardiologist might evaluate that child, do an EKG, do an exam and think, oh, they're great. They're fine. This is probably like a hydration problem and they need more electrolytes, often what adolescents do. But because of their performance measures, they might say, but you know what, mom, I think you need to go to neurology and have Mm. them check it out next. And it's literally because they're supposed to have an X amount of referrals because it just feeds the beast, right? It feeds the money machine. That just so disheartening because those parents are worrying, right? Before they get into neurology, they're worried. They're like, oh my gosh, now we got to go see the brain doctor. 
It's sad. It's very, very sad. I don't know why I got off on that tangent, but no, because it's answering a lot of questions for me. I mean, I've seen that play out and I, I feel this, tell me if you experienced this, Dr. Emily, in your practice, like I feel this crunch between like when I'm working with someone and they're like, well, I have all these doctors at these fancy special places and all these departments I need to go see that I need to go see them. They're not really resonating with me. I really want to trust you. And I really want to do this functional medicine thing. But like, there's some part of us that feels like the authorities like over here are like, it, yes. And it makes sense because they're just referred to refer to refer to all these different specialties when I'm like, well, here's how we could fix it. But there's something in us that that authority piece is huge. Hey, let me interrupt this episode real quick to offer another prescription along your healing journey. This one may be not what you're thinking of. Let me guess, you're doing the nutrition, the supplements, the sauna, the exercise, the peptides, the yoga, but there's still a feeling like something is missing in your healing journey. Where two or more are gathered, there is indeed healing power, and we are going to gather way more than two people. I do believe our healing journey does not reach its capacity until we have entered into the portal that is a healing spiritual medicine retreat. In order for our brain to rewire itself, reprogram limiting beliefs, anxious thoughts, and even cellular healing code for our physical body to get better, we must break the pattern we live in. We can do this by engulfing ourselves in a healing retreat. I I want to invite you into the healing container I create just once a year, our spiritual medicine healing retreat in Yalapa, Mexico, January 14th through the 19th of 2024. We have various pricing package options for all budgets, all inclusive besides your travel. I promise you, you cannot come back from this healing experience the same. Imagine organic healing foods, instant ocean access, sleeping in open air or closed if you prefer rooms, listening to the oceans tropical rainforest waterfall excursions, deep sea snorkeling, boat rides, healing sessions, shaman ceremony, and space and rest and time to connect with your soul, which is the true medicine. This is the annual experience my team and I curate just for you once a year and it sells out every single time. So if you're listening to this, I know you crave deep healing. So click on the link in the show notes or go to inspirehealthbygen.com slash retreats. That's inspirehealthbygen.com slash retreats for more information. Or if you're listening to this podcast and hear this after the retreat has passed, check out the retreats page still for another unique in-person healing experience in the future. Mm -hmm. Do you see that in your practice? Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, the codes that they're using you know, they might use irritable bowel syndrome and we're using dysbiosis or, um, you know, nutritional insufficiency or something like that. Like the, it's just a different framework of thinking about health. And I think the problem with being a nurse practitioner is, is we have that side of us that's so allopathic, that was so trained that this is the way, and this is the only way that you do it. Yeah. So there's this, you know, there's this weighing of the scales, right. Of like, What's allopathic that we're not missing that really needs to be addressed in a more allopathic way? And then like, what is functional? What is functional and integrative? And what's the other side of us that can mitigate the need for all of those other providers? So, you know, if, if say I have a kid with a seizure disorder, which I do, many of them, mm. 
Um, I won't say don't go see neurology if you're having seizures. I mean, maybe you do need on fee for a certain amount of time. But mm-hmm. my goal is going to be like, okay, so you might have a seizure disorder. So what else is going on that's making that threshold lower that you're seizing more? And how can we get you to have need have greater stability, need less medication, or praise God over time, not need it at all? But I'm not going to say don't go see the neurologist or the right. epileptologist and have your seizure disorder managed. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I just think there's this like we're in this strange place of like mm-hmm. knowing both worlds and wanting to respect both of them and not be negligent to say, you know, you don't need that person, which in our hearts, we're probably going, oh, let's do the work so you don't need that drug that has so many side effects. So. Yes. And that's what I love about functional medicine nurse practitioners. I've actually had a few on the show so far because there's a respect for the allopathic. And I don't know if it's always seen that way in the allopathic world with the functional medicine world. There's not always the the merit given to the functional medicine. The, the allopathic world doesn't always want to work with us like we want to work with them, but mm-hmm. that's okay. Maybe one day they'll catch up. Mm-hmm. We'll keep doing what we're doing. Well, and I've been doing this really for about 12 years now. So I was in, I was in primary care before that, doing the, the primary care things. And I worked with a beautiful pediatrician that's still like my number one pediatrician referral. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, going into this, I was the first, maybe the first one in Texas, certainly within the first five in the U.S. that started mm-hmm. any type of pediatric functional medicine practice. So um, I was really kind of like... Uh, a a strange bird. Like, what are you doing? And people before that had more hesitation and cautiousness are now referring or coming to see me with their own kids. So Mm. I've seen it change over time. People just, you know, sometimes there's this, if I don't know it about health, it doesn't matter and it doesn't exist Mm -hmm. and it's not going to help you. But like I said, at the very beginning of this, it's, it's that whole, like, how medicine thinks they're the way and the only way is just so false. There's so many other fields and way of addressing chronic health that work really well and have less cost and less side effects and better outcomes. And in the end, isn't that what we want? We want our patients to get better because when they get better, we feel like everybody's winning, right? Yeah. And I think that gives some merit to moms and dads listening who are like, kind of afraid to to look into functional medicine and try a different approach. Um, Dr. Emily, could you name some of the conditions specifically that you see that are neurodevelopmental, naming a few of those conditions, and then if what the symptoms are, and then where a parent might start in helping their child through that? Sure. I, I can imagine it's probably one of the scariest times of being a parent when you have a happy, healthy toddler that's talking, babbling, looking you in the eye and doing all the things that they're supposed to. And then all of a sudden they start to lose them and it's less eye contact, it's less language. And then you end up with this big, scary diagnosis of autism. So before some kids get the diagnosis of autism, they'll get pervasive developmental disorder, they'll get developmental delay. They'll get um, apraxia, which means that you're not speaking. And it is a very, very hard and unsure time for parents. Mm -hmm. So 
those are some of the neurodevelopmental disorders. Now, I do see some very rare things where they have rare chromosomal things that, you know, one in 500,000 kids has. So there are some of those neurodevelopmental things or something called fragile X. I have a few patients, mm-hmm. um, Down syndrome patients. So I would say that that's a developmental disorder um, and chromosomal for some of those, certainly. But really, when we're talking about neurodevelopmental disorders, you're mostly talking about autism. Yeah. And, you know, when you have that, when, when you have in your gut that something's going on with your child and something's not quite right, um, it's great to bring it up to the pediatrician. It's great to go in for those, for those wellness checks that you are, you know, going at 12 months and 18 months and 24 months to, to make sure that they're meeting those milestones. But if your gut is uneasy with how well your child is progressing, I would listen to it because there is this truth that the earlier the intervention, the better the outcome. Mm-hmm. So if I get a kid that has autism at 12, versus two, it's going to look different on how well they are and become. Mm -hmm. So the first step is, is not to ignore your gut and to start to really put that into your awareness. Like, okay, so Johnny isn't talking like all of the other two-year-olds. He actually doesn't have any words, you know, is that normal at this age? You know, if it's not, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to get him evaluated? And, you know, evaluation, typically what happens is the pediatrician says, okay, yeah, there's something I'm seeing. Let's wait and watch. A lot of pediatricians say that. Let's just wait and see. Um, And sometimes it's because, you know, the older sibling is a chatterbox and likes to talk for Johnny and and gets Johnny his cup and talks, you know, gets him his blanket, does everything for the kid. And you have to just, you know, have that older sibling quit doing all the language for them, right? Sometimes it's because it's a multi-language family and, you know, they're signing with the child or there's multiple languages in the family and that causes a delay. So it's not always autism, but mm-hmm. when it is, um, you got you to gotta hit inflammation hard and fast. You've got to start looking for where the inflammation is. And not a lot of pediatricians know how to do that. But a very, very simple thing, first and foremost, is you can just take gluten and dairy out of that kid's diet. Mm -hmm. So there's actually something that's really interesting that we've learned in autism, and it's called a folate receptor antibody. Have you ever heard of um, folate antibodies in autism? From your, do you talked about it at your presentation? Yeah, it's, it's so critical because it's, you know, if you aren't getting fully to the brain, you're going to have problems with development. That's why the government said, oh, yeah, you know, every pregnant woman should be on folic acid. It's really important. In fact, so important, we're going to dump it into all of our infant formula, all of our breads, all of our packaged and processed foods should have a little <laughs> bit of folic acid in there. So the problem is, is that a lot of people either don't know how to break it down well in order for the types of folate that are really needed to get to the brain, or there's an autoimmune condition where there's antibodies blocking that folate from crossing through the cerebral spinal fluid into the brain. So if you have a folate deficiency, you can have a seizure disorder. And do you know that about 30 
80% at minimum. Some people quote it up to 85% of kids with autism have seizures. Wow. And it might not be the seizure that you fall Mm -hmm. on the floor and you see in the movies. It might just be a staring spell. Mm -hmm. They might be seizing when they're in different phases of sleep. So seizures are are definitely something called a comorbidity or something that goes along with autism I'm always looking out for. But the first thing a a parent can do is, one, recognize it, two, start to think about where where in possible can inflammation be coming from in this child's world. And Mm -hmm. food is first, for sure, without a doubt. I love that you say food is first. This audience will definitely resonate. And gluten and dairy are like two of the biggest drivers of inflammation in the population I work with, mostly with autoimmune women, and then also our children. And like you said, if a lot of the toxicity and inflammation starts prenatally. And Uh if mom's body has had issues, it can be trickling down. So if a mom's listening to this or a dad and they're like, crap, miss the boat on the prenatal detox. Um, Okay. I'm hearing you, Dr. Emily, gluten and dairy. I'm going to, you know, talk with you or your health coach, maybe get some testing, get some supplements on board that you recommend. Like I'm frantic. I want to do something today. What about the air the water, the medications, the vaccines? Do you have any commentary on what else we could do for our kids? Mm -hmm. Well, I did write a book about five years ago called The Functional Medicine Approach to, or the, the Parents Roadmap to the Functional Medicine Approach for Autism. So there's some good nuggets in there. I want to rewrite the book because I think that, you know, science is just always being updated. It needs, yeah. it needs, it needs version two, but that's a great place to get started. Awesome. So we'll link that in the show notes. Well, food is, food's really important. And, and this is the thing about food. I mean, we can sit on this podcast and you can talk about the carnivore diet, uh, which by the way, I heard this past weekend that he grows something like $60 million a year in sales for supplements. And I was just shocked. Um, so well, that's a lot I could say on that, but keep going. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. But um, so, I mean, we can talk about all the different diets, right? Like which diet is most appropriate, et cetera. But if for a child, what I often think of is what are they eating that they shouldn't be eating? And what mm-hmm. are they not eating that their body is missing? Mm-hmm. And for some reason, we've normalized eczema. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, you have a dry patch and usually it's in your little antecubital fossa or behind your knees. And mm-hmm. that's supposed to be like, oh, that's just normal in childhood to have eczema. Here's your topical steroid and let's just slather it on and get your emollients and, you know, make sure you're not bathing your child too often. But why is it normal? Why is eczema normal? It's not normal. You have, yeah, you have something you're reacting to in your food source, or your gut is imbalanced. But it's those are huge sources of inflammation. And almost every child with eczema, when they come to me because of eczema, it's almost like, oh, this is gonna be so easy. I just I can't wait to get the skin better because you know ninety nine percent of my patients with eczema, you fix their food, you fix their gut, and they're on their way. But for some reason, we've normalized it. So if you have a child that has neurodevelopmental delay and eczema, you better bet they're eating something that they shouldn't. And yeah. the, the most inflammatory foods are gluten and dairy. And then sometimes people have a lot of problems with egg and mm-hmm. nuts. You yep. know, I see that a lot. Uh, so, And then what's the quality of the food they're eating too? So uh, over the years, those pouches that everybody does now, because for some reason 
our children are not being taught to chew. Let's just get a vegetable out of a pouch and make it as sweet mm. as we can. Those pouches, I mean, every year it's like this one had lead in it. This one had a toxic heavy mm. metal in it. Like there's contamination in those pouches. So is there something like that in their environment that they're eating or being exposed to? I've even had some parents lately, you know, they cook everything on a cast iron skillet and their kids mm -hmm. were toxic in iron because they were doing the wonderful job of making sure, you know, they were cooking at home and they were using the skillet for iron absorption, but it was too much. So often it's, you know, what do you have that's, that, that's in your diet that you shouldn't have too? And sometimes it can be too much of one mineral as well. Yeah. And what about their water for kids who are drinking? Like they want the juice or they want the water. How can we allow our liquids to support detoxification as well? Well, the, the rule of thumb is when you're one, you throw the bottle away. Some parents are like, no, the bottle. They love the bottle. The bottle gets them to bed. Um, but the truth is it'll, it'll, it'll do some damage to your palate and dentition over time if you're constantly have, you know, a bottle in your mouth. Plus, you know, there's something literally called baby bottle tooth decay, where if you're yeah. falling asleep with a bottle, it'll just rot out your teeth. So we don't want any of that. Um, often to wean the bottle, if your child is still on a bottle at two or three, you just start putting water in the bottle. Mm -hmm. And that way they're less interested in the milk. And the milk has something called casomorphone in it. Hey, I know this podcast is probably stimulating the possibility that your body can heal too. If you have autoimmune disease or chronic symptoms of autoimmune conditions, your body 1000% can live symptom-free, I promise. So don't skip ahead on listening to this one. Over the years in my clinical practice, I have developed a tried and tested symptomless program that 100% works to heal symptoms of autoimmune disease based upon my three pillars of autoimmune research as a doctor of nursing practice. And now this proven integrative medicine program is in the process of being a full fledged published research paper. But before I can release this to the masses, I need your help for this final nonprofit round, meaning you'll never see the program at this discounted rate again. For example, my 12 week program is 5,500. And right now you can access all of the same benefits for just 1800. I am calling 20 women to join me for 12 weeks. I will teach you everything you need to know, and you will heal your body. We start January 23rd, 2024. So if you're listening to this in the future now, you can join the program waitlist. Just know the price will never be what it once was if you're past that January 23rd, 2024 date, because the research will be ready to be read on PubMed in the very near future from now. I just need 20 more women with symptoms of autoimmune or diagnosed autoimmune conditions to join me in changing the medical model for women with autoimmune disease. How many times have you been told you're fine when you're not fine? It's time things change. The results are incredible from my symptomless program. And you can also read the Google reviews linked in the show notes. So you don't just take my word for it. This is the very program that's healed all eight of my different autoimmune conditions from my body and continues to heal thousands of women around the world today. So if you're ready to heal your body and elevate your entire life, pause this now, go to the show notes and sign up to receive more information or go right to the sign up page to join me. 
you will anonymously be a part of groundbreaking research. And in return, you will get to join this program for a steal of a deal rate more than 70% off. This program will work. I promise. I can't wait to see you there. Can you tell us just a little bit more, Emily? Yeah. Are you familiar with the, the peptide casomorphone in milk? Tell me more. So it is, it's literally a, a type of opioid peptide that makes you addicted to milk. Mm. Your brain loves it. I was addicted to dairy for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. It's probably some of that casomorphone in it. So, um, it's, it's a true thing. You know, when people are addicted to dairy, it's, it's, it's really like your brain really loves dairy. Now your immune system and your skin and your gut might not like it, but your brain can really think it's pretty delicious. So, you know, I think that children, the only juice I ever recommend any of them drinking is maybe an ounce or two a day of pomegranate juice, just because of how nutrient dense it is. And it has some studies on increasing NERF2 pathways, which is really like helping your other antioxidants be upregulated in your body. But otherwise, kids, you know, if you have to give them juice to give, take, take their supplements or their vitamins, okay, do it. But yeah. otherwise, they just need to drink water. Yeah, that's it. And in fact, kids that are drinking a lot of milk or a lot of juice, they're just like, this is food on the go. I don't need any other food. And it, it really contributes to them being really picky and selective eaters. Yeah. So I would, I would absolutely limit the, the type of milk. I don't know why we think, you know, maybe it's all those ads in the eighties, like, you know, what, it, what was it? Milk makes a body healthy and we'd all have the milk. Yeah. <laughs> so kids don't need milk. They don't. That's that's a that's a major fallacy. Uh, after a year of being off the bottle, you only need water to drink. And whether you do Fiji, some people in the autism community really love Fiji water because of the silica in it, because mm-hmm. silica can help with uh, detoxification. So Fiji water and then the plastic around that water bottle is safe um, and more tolerated. But otherwise, I just like good old filtered water. I love the taste of reverse osmosis water. So that's what I drink. But just water. I mean, just that your kids just need water. They don't really need anything else. Yeah. My intention in saying this is to encourage parents and bring a thought process about not condemn because I'm not a parent yet. And I know how hard it is from working with kids for them to buy in on something, but it amazes me to look around or to talk with parents and be like, they're just picky. Like we've normalized junk food for kids. We've normalized the goldfish and the Kool-Aids and the granola, the chewies and like, Oh, it's just kid food. You know, like I got to feed the kids this when I'm working with adults and I eat something different. How can Mm -hmm. kids and start to turn over their palate and, and start to enjoy foods that are going to help them heal? Well, I'm glad you brought up how we've normalized junk food for kids. I mean, just take a look at the kid menu next time you go out to eat. It's like, oh, fried food and hamburger. Yeah. And I mean, it's just so it's it's been normalized, though. With my patients, I mean, your kids should be eating what you eat period. So if you need to check your own nutrition and you're the one that's, you know, eating a lot of packaged food and, 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 you know, getting fast food, I just don't think there's a lot of hope that your, your child is going to eat better. If you're not eating better and that's the culture of your home to, 
you know, do a lot of fast food and and it's just going to be really, really challenging. And it's also pretty unfair for that kid. They don't understand they're five and they can't eat pizza anymore. What do you mean? You know, why are you eating pizza and drinking wine? And I can't have any of that. You're trying to give me a chicken breast and broccoli. So I think the, the culture of the family, it really has to be a whole family thing. And then you just have to try to minimize things that are processed. Kids often don't get enough good fat in their diet. And, you know, that comes from cooking with fat, good fats like ghee and olive oil and coconut oil um, and avocado oil. They don't get enough protein. I mean, our little, it's, it's pretty shocking how low protein our kids are getting. And you need protein to build and repair DNA. You need it to, it's the building blocks of, of putting on more tissues and bones, which that's what kids are doing. They're just growing at a rapid rate. So, and they often, they're just often have such low nutritional density in their foods. Like, you know, if it's packaged and processed, you're not going to get the nutritional density of like, you know, roasting some broccoli. Yeah. But if your kids don't want to eat it, that's okay. You can't force them to. And remember, you are not responsible for what your child eats. You mm. cannot chew it for them. You mm-hmm. cannot swallow it for them. And please do not force them to eat it. Yeah. You are responsible for what you provide them to eat. So mm. those kids on, you know, Kool-Aid and, and, and crackers, they don't have a job. They're not going to the grocery store. Quit buying it for them. Yep. You know, just stop. Stop that nonsense. I love that. You're just only responsible for what you provide. You can't force exactly. them. No. You can't lead a horse to water, but they, I've seen the kids catch on in the families that I've worked with. And they, when parents were changing things like, oh, my kid wants to eat spinach out of the bag or cilantro off the sprig or, you know, they're loving dates or whatever oh, it may be. Awesome. I want to ask the question that probably so many want to ask you, Dr. Emily. And when we hear autism, I love that you're focusing on the detox and the gut and the neuroinflammation. And so many parents from communities can be all honed in on vaccinations. Do you have, do you believe it warrants all of that weight in the autism community, just vaccines? What do you see being the needing to be the main focus, like the detox, the vaccines? What's the issue? Mm. I think it's the body burden mm-hmm. and every child comes into this world with a different burden. We know because we've actually studied cord blood, looking at cord blood and how many environmental toxicants are in it. And it would, it would, it would, I mean, your jaw would just be on the floor if you actually knew what the host was feeding their child just through the placenta. So we all have emotional and physiological resilience within us. Mm-hmm. That physiological resilience is if there's too much burden over time, you're going to tip into chronic disease. So if you're born into this world from, you know, a mom that had an unplanned pregnancy and didn't do a detox and, you know, you were living um, somewhere, say on a farm and drinking well water and you had a lot of arsenic in your system <laughs> And then, you know, your parents just thought Jack in the Box was like a treat. And so you ate a lot of fast food and you weren't sleeping well. And then you had um, allergens in the home, like you were allergic to dust mites and you had a dusty house or you were living in a house that had mold contamination. You name it. You know, what's the environmental, nutritional, foundational burden of the body? Because things are going to come along. We Mm -hmm. cannot 
prevent things from coming along. COVID's going to come along again and yep. the flu and infection and strep throat and all these things are going to come along and trauma and pain and loss, all of it's going to come along, but where are we resilient? And, you know, I would be lying if I sat here and didn't honestly tell you that over the last 12 years of treating autism, probably half of my patients have said that their children regressed after vaccine. Mm -hmm. And that is a truth that I will, I mean, you can take away my license for saying that. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I'm going to tell the truth. Yeah, and that's the truth. So was it the vaccine or was it the tipping point for that child because they had low resilience on their body burden? I don't know. We all, all have a genetic predisposition that we come into it as well, right? Like, right. Some people have ju juvenile arthritis at age three, where others, you know, it's a sibling that has the same environment, the same nutrition, but mm -hmm. they don't have JRA. They don't have arthritis yet. It's there. Uh, we do have genes that will set us up for more aggressive inflammation or genes that help us to turn off inflammation that have variants in them. So genes also play a big role into that. Oh, Dr. Emily, love the way you said that. And I feel like you're such a wise and responsible steward of the information and of working with kids to talk about the body burden and the tipping point. And I've never heard it articulated so beautifully about the vaccine. So thank you for sharing that. Oh. Well, Martha Abair, she's a neurologist um, at Harvard. So she's she is one, one of the founders of, um, it's not Healing Hope, it's, it's a hope project for autism. And she's an MD-PhD and she's now retiring, but she's just a beautiful woman. And she's the one that coined the term, the body burden. So I actually learned it from Dr. Abair. And um, it's, it's beautiful. And it just makes the, the most sense, right? It makes the most sense. It's the tipping point for us. And you know what, Jen, when I don't sleep well, or I have two glasses of wine instead of one and then go straight to bed, which is never a great <laughs> idea. Um, and, you know, I fill up my plate with too many tasks and I eat packaged food because certainly I don't eat perfect every day. Um, right. Siete tortilla really is challenging me with their spicy chips. They're so delicious. They're so good. They're so <laughs> delicious. But, you know, I mean, I know that I'm also on the body burden. And I'm also vacillating. And I also have my own autoimmune triggers that I have to be mindful of. And it's mm -hmm. work. And then the work is also this, knowing that you can control some things, but not everything. And you got to be okay with that too. Yeah. Amen, sister. Uh, this has been an amazing conversation. I feel lifted just by listening to you. And I, I can feel the buzzing and the moms and dads and the hope you're giving them and the information so they're wanting more from you. Can you tell us where to find your book, how to book a consultation with you or Alexis, mm -hmm. and then where to find your supplements and anything else that you can help people who are just hanging on your words being like, yes, this is resonating. I need to work with this woman. Oh, well, there are more providers out there than just me that do this work. So if you, if, especially if you have a child with neurodevelopmental delay or you're worried about autism, there is the Medical Academy of Pediatric Special Needs, and there's a list of providers, and they're all around the U.S. So that's a good place to look to work with someone one-on-one. -on -one. To work with me, you have to be in Colorado, New Mexico, or Texas, because that's where I'm licensed. However, my health coach, Alexis, can get you started, and she can work with you no matter what state that you're in. 
The book is on Amazon. It is the parent's roadmap to autism, a functional medicine approach. So this is a very user-friendly, we wrote it, Jana Rosso and I wrote it together. And it's supposed to be just, you know, not hard and not too sciencey to follow. So there's some really good things in there. And then last, you know, year and a half ago, we started Neuronutrients. And the reason that I did was because I've, I've been using combinations of things in children for a really long time. And I know what seems to work. And kids are tough because if you can't swallow a pill and you have like two supplements you can give someone, you, you want things to have the right combination. Mm-hmm. Um, so in neuronutrients, you can go to the website. You'll find my list of uh, supplements that I've created there. If you want to get real sciency on what each of them are, there's a monograph that you can click and it'll open it up to why I, I have everything in the supplements that I do. Our complete methylation support has folinic acid in it. So you can't find that on the market a lot. Folinic acid is one of the types of folate that really help bypass that folate from being prevented to getting into the brain. So that's a huge thing that I really wanted to have in the line was lots of methylated and folinic acid, not to be confused with folic acid. It's folinic and methyl. So Thank you, Dr. Emily. I'm going to put this in the show notes, but neuronutritionassociates.com is where people can get in touch with you or Alexis. And then neuronutrients.com is where they can shop supplements, find that folinic acid and get their kids going on the right foot. You got it. You got it. Thank you so much for your time today. We've enjoyed this and all the links that you might need are in the show notes. Yay. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to see you today. Hey friends, are you feeling the call to learn more about using energy medicine to heal yourself and maybe even others? I have an opportunity for you to become energy healing trademark certified in February of 2024. So this energy healing trademark certification is the second through the fourth of February. And this was last offered over 18 months ago. So there's an online preparation course plus three days of live training. That's either online and on zoom, or you can come join in Kansas city in studio. So this training is for healers, healies, and plain old humans who are looking to go deeper into energy healing for their own healing. First and foremost, the healing of their children, their partner, their families, the healing of their clients. This all inclusive training will equip you to understand the fundamentals of energy healing and my custom divine methodology gifted to me by the spirit that really grew my business. After this training, you will be ready to understand how available energy really is for you to heal your physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual ailments. And after this training, you will be ready to run your own healing business, or even just a bedtime routine with your kiddos from this container together. This is for you. If you're ready to shift your entire way of healing and feeling on this earth, this training will sell out. Payment plans are available. And what you'll learn in this training bit by bit is how to access and utilize intuition, how to access and utilize spirit guides, how to access and utilize the Holy spirit in your body, how to access and understand your spiritual gifts. What is energy medicine, the history of energy healers on earth? What is required of a healer, how to read the energy, energy body, chakras, meridians, how to perform energy healing on yourself first and foremost, and then energy healing on another person. 
This training includes five various methods, including Jen's signature healing method, which was gifted to me by the spirit without ever being trained. And it truly, truly works. We go over energy healing for kids, the business of energy healing. It includes an energy healing workbook. And to obtain certification, you must go through the online portion and the live training to have this registered trademark certification. So this is it this year. My friends, we have this year to shift, to heal, to grow, to evolve into the person our soul sent us here to be on this earth. So do something to honor the divine blueprint for your life right away in the new year, whether it's this energy healing certification or not, I need you to step forward. As they say, a rising tide lifts all boats in the harbor. I am here in this energetic ocean with you, so let's evolve. You can find the training info and details in the link in the show notes. You can find the full training and then you also can just find the online portion for when the training sells out or if you just want to dip your toes in. But just a friendly reminder, if you buy just the course, you will need to complete the in-person certification or on Zoom to have the energy healing certified trademark.